Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning and welcome. Let me try that one more time to make sure that you're ready with me. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Dennis, and I'm delighted that you're here this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Today, we're going to jump right in, and I want to take you to Matthew's account of this day. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to pick up your Bibles or get on your Bible app and go to Matthew chapter 21, and I'll read part of the story of this day as we enter into Holy Week. Matthew 21, 7 through 11. Let us listen to this word to us, the word of the Lord. They brought the donkey and the cold and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. Well, what's going on here? For centuries, Jewish prophets had foretold that one would come in the ancestral line of David to Jerusalem from the east over the Mount of Olives to establish the kingdom of peace. Now, this was during the time when the people celebrated Passover. You'll recall Passover was this festival, the season in which the Jewish people looked back and remembered that they were once people in bondage. They were enslaved people. They were a people under the hand and rule of the Pharaoh. And God brought them by the leading of Moses out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage and into the promised land. And so they were looking back and they were remembering, especially during this time by the first century, they were a people that were in bondage. They were in people that were under occupied forces. The Roman hand was upon them and they lived in a country that was occupied by foreign troops. You can imagine how you would feel during this time if we had a foreign army that was on every street corner here. And so they longed for a return of that. They longed for a Messiah, an anointed one, perhaps a military general, to come and deliver them. Now, by the first century, the Sadducees, which were a religious party, religious sect, kind of a political party as well, they had a tradition in which they opened up the eastern gate, hopefully that Messiah would come and would enter down the Mount of Olives, through the Kinron Valley, into the temple, and would enter the eastern gate. And so during this time and season, they would keep it open. Now, Matthew tells us that Jesus 
came on this day over the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey. The people came out. Could this be the one? Could this be the one? All of Jerusalem was abuzz because just a few days before in Bethany on the other side of the Mount of Olives, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and they came out to hail him as king. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, Hosanna in the highest. And the scriptures say they took their cloaks and they put them on the ground before him as if they were ushering the king into Jerusalem and they took palm branches and they waved them in the air and put them on the ground and Jesus was here. Jesus was on the scene. What a great day. And that is the day that we observe today that we call Palm Sunday. Let me unpack this just a little bit more because there are a lot of misconceptions about this day, especially for those who grew up in church There are others, this perhaps might be the first time that you've heard this story, or at least you've tried to understand this story, but for others, you've grown up with this story. So we've heard about the word Hosanna. I grew up in a church where every year they'd take the kids out and they'd parade them around and wave their palm branches, kind of like we did today, and we would sing Hosanna, loud Hosanna, and it was always a great day. But what you need to know is that The word Hosanna, which is not a a normal word that we use on the streets of Tip City, like when we're walking down, Hosanna, Hosanna, (laughs) right? It doesn't simply mean praise God. Next week, actually, on Easter, one of the songs on the song list, on the playlist, is Hosanna. So what are we saying? It's actually a Hebrew expression, which literally means this. Write this down. God save us. God, deliver us. Save me. Deliver me. It comes from the Old Testament. Save me now. Deliver me. And then it says they took palm branches. What's that all about? It's very interesting. Now, remember, during Passover, they're remembering a time in which they were saved, they were delivered, they were brought to their own land, the land of milk and honey, right? the promised land, but now they're under foreign domination. But they could look back and they could remember. The last time they were independent, the last time they were free, was about 130 to 160 years before, during what's called the Maccabean period. And during that time of their own self-rule, they had currency, And on their coins, very interesting, they printed the palm leaf or the palm branch. In fact, here is one of the coins that's been discovered from that time. It dates around 160 BC. And you can see the palm tree, the palm branch, which was a symbol of independence. It was a symbol of freedom. And so in a way, in waving the palm branch, now get this, it was equivalent to what some of us on the 4th of July would think to do with a flag, with the American flag. It represents freedom. It represents independence on Independence Day. So when Jesus is coming 
in the line of King David as a Messiah, an anointed one, over the Mount of Olives in fulfillment of the ancient prophets, the people who are on bondage begin to cry out, God, save us. This is the day. Deliver us. We've got the door of the temple gate open for you to come in and establish your kingdom of peace for years and years. And they were waving their, in a sense, very patriotic flags on that day. And now you can see why the Jewish authorities said to Jesus, quiet these people down. (laughs) Because if they keep on doing this, the Romans are going to come in and they are going to crush us right here. What we celebrate today is that when the people were crying out, Hosanna, deliver us, save us. And Jesus coming to Jerusalem, that's exactly what he was doing. (laughs) He was coming to save them. Amen. But not with military might. Oh, he could have, but that wasn't the purpose and plan. Not as a general in the line of another. He was coming as a lamb. He was coming to give his life. He was coming to save them for all of eternity and from a separation from God. Amen? That's why Jesus was coming. That's why Palm Sunday in church tradition is also often called Passion Sunday because it's the beginning of the journey that leads to Golgotha, that leads to the cross. So way back, several weeks ago, at the beginning of Lent, we started this series called Jesus Is. And we looked at Jesus as carpenter, Jesus as healer, Jesus as teacher, prophet, restore. Today we get to the statement, Jesus is Savior. That's familiar terms to many of us. Jesus is Lord and Savior. But what does that mean? How is he our Savior living here in Miami County and Montgomery County? Why do we need a Savior? If I'm okay, you're okay. If I'm loved, which you are loved, by the way, if you want to know, then Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? What did Jesus save us from? Our goodness? There has to be something more. And what I want to do for the remainder of this is to kind of give us an understanding of why Jesus is our Savior and why each of us, under the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room or whether you're worshiping online, live, or whether you will be worshiping later online, can hear. And I want to take you to one of the epistles, which is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans. And it was here in these early chapters of Romans in the New Testament that Martin Luther, the great reformer, shaped theology, an understanding of faith and why we need to be made right with God. It was also the book of Romans that shaped John Wesley, who was one of our spiritual fathers of this church, to understand his need for a savior 
and why he received one. So I want to take you to a very, very well-known passage for some. Others, this will be brand new. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And let's read it together from the screen so you can hear your own voice. For all have sinned and short of the glory of God. Now look at that verse for a minute. Just one single verse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Circle in your mind or on your paper what words jump out at you. And it can be different for each one here. What really is emphasized in your mind? For me, it's all. All means all. Not some. That means you. That means the preacher up here. For all have sinned. What does sin mean? It's a Greek term that comes from the archery world, which means to miss the mark. It's like you're off the bullseye. Sin is missing the perfect will, the perfection, the holiness of God. And whatever we do in thought, word, and deed, sins of omission or commission we often miss the perfect will of God. We, we fail, we, we sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, verse 10, there's none not righteous, no, not one. That means all of us, you see. What other ones? Glory is one that, that, that kind of sticks out. What does that mean? And we'll go back to that here in a moment. Let me tell you a story that will help you understand this verse a little more. For me, at least, a picture speaks a thousand words. So stay with me. Track with me on this. So I want to put up on the screen here. This is the, uh, the University of Asbury, Asbury University men's soccer team, 1987. Good looking group there, right? <laughs> if you look real closely, you can see your pastor. He's in the back row. I was a that was my freshman year of college. I was a, a second string goalie, goalie, goalkeeper behind a senior member who was there on the end in the back row. His name was Troy. And I can remember how excited I was on a warm September 1987 day as our bus pulled into the campus of the University of Louisville beside the old Cardinal Stadium. It was our first game of the season, and although Asbury at the time was an NAIA school, NCAA Division III, we had on our schedule, right at the beginning, before we got into league play, four NCAA Division I schools. Our first game was Louisville. The second game of the season was UK, University of Kentucky Wildcats. The third was Moorhead State University, and then we also played Eastern Kentucky that year. And let me just say that your pastor, as an 18-year-old, had an inflated ego as big as Jupiter. <laughs> you could ask Melissa. She was in our class down there as well. I'd been the captain of my high school soccer team for the past two years from a little town in Appalachian, Ohio. Of course, the epicenter of soccer in the world. <laughs> and we were so bad, we were so bad 
because we were a football school, first of all, so I guess the guys who couldn't play football played soccer, I don't know. We were so bad that we would have been the bad news bears of high school soccer in Eastern Ohio, okay? And because I did not have a lot of soccer skills, at least with my feet, I was a halfway decent athlete. They put me in the early years in the goal, and that developed. But we were so bad that other teams spent most of their time shooting on goal. (laughs) And so every week, you know, I'd end up getting my name in the paper. I'd have 30 saves, 40 saves, you know? I mean, when you have 50-some shots at you every game, (laughs) and you start believing in your own stuff, you know? Big fish in a small pond. Some of you are laughing because you've been there. (laughs) Because you know what I'm talking about. That's you, right? And so you start believing that you're actually pretty good. And so now we've entered into the arena of college sports on a small scale. But there's something about, you know, being part of something on a very small campus, especially when you're a freshman. By the time you get junior, it's just kind of the old thing, right? But hey, 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 you know. I'm going to get a leather men's jacket just like the ones others are wearing real quick. So I can remember standing on the sideline during that first half, watching my senior member as we started. And I'm not exaggerating. They, they scored once on my buddy. They scored twice. They scored three times, four times. This is all first half. Five times, six times. By halftime, it was Louisville six, Asbury zero. And I think our coach knew where this was going, and so he decided that he would just clear the bench and allow all the sophomores and the freshmen to at least say that they played at the old Cardinal Stadium. So he called on Miller. But I'm thinking, now you're going to see what separates the men from the boys. Now, you, you, some of you can smell what's coming, right? They scored in the second half not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times. Seven. I had never experienced in my life a soccer ball being kicked so hard and so fast in my life. I didn't see it coming before it was already in the back of the net. And the truth is that Louisville really wasn't that good in Division I that year, I later found out. I think they were about halfway in their own league. I sat there on the bus ride back to Lexington, Kentucky, then into Wilmore, with my head between my legs. Literally, I was so embarrassed. How could a person be so deceived? (laughs) It's true. I had vastly overrated myself. I had never objectified my soccer playing ability. And the University of Louisville became the benchmark to help me face soccer reality. It's true. You know, athletics is, the, is not the only arena that people vastly overrate themselves. Amen? 
You ever watch American Idol? Person's been singing with their friends, or singing in the mirror, but, or singing at a small church for years. They go up in front of Simon. Their life is devastated. We, we see it in politics. A politician is in a bubble. They only surround themselves with people that are yes people and tell them how popular and great they are. And then sometimes they are destroyed in the elections. What happened? Didn't see that coming. Because they did not compare themselves to something greater. But I want to say to you that nowhere do we vastly overrate ourselves more than anything else than in the spiritual arena. And let me just come right out and say it. Most people vastly overrate how good they are in the eyes of a holy God, a perfect God, a sinless God. Most people firmly believe that they're, they're good enough. And God is loving, and God is. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God's perfect love. And, but if you stop nine out of 10 people at Menards in Tip City, and you ask them on their own merits if they're good enough, most will say, well, I hope so, or I, I think I am. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm not like the ax murderers around or anything. I give to the United Way. I put a coin in the Salvation Army bucket from time to time. I go down to Gingsburg Church once in a while if I don't have anything else to do, but there are a lot of things to do or another church, you know. I pay my dues, so to speak. Now, they may add all the rapists and drug dealers and ax murderers and terrorists. Now, they're in a heap of trouble in the day of reckoning, but, but not me. Or one guy said to me years ago up in Piccolo, save your breath, preacher, save your breath on this Jesus born again stuff. Save your breath. <laughs> Go find some bad guys. I'm going to do okay on my own. And friends, this mindset is rampant in our society of feel good today. Amen. Where everyone's looking at other people comparing themselves to one another and saying, well, I guess I'm better than so-and-so, right? Without having a benchmark. What's the benchmark? To be in a relationship with God. And I want to help you come to terms with that. What did Jesus come for? Why, why did he die? What do we need a savior for? He's Lord and Savior. What's he saving us from? Our goodness? Again. We need to know exactly where we stand as we walk out the door today, don't you? I want to know. So, again, let's go back to the scripture. Romans chapter 3, 23. Why don't you read it again make sure you haven't fallen asleep yet. <laughs> let's read it together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All? Pastor Dennis says all. That means you up there on the stage. You're not all that great. That's true. Let me give you an illustration. So let's say, for instance, that's why I got the ladder here. Let's say this is a line of all the people who've ever lived in world history, okay? 
the Lord God, we'll just say for the sake of God is everywhere, but let's just say God is at the top, okay? Where do we need to be on this ladder? Where would you put the different people? I know over here it's kind of hard to see this, but just stay with me or watch the screen. So the worst people, who would be considered the worst of all humanity who have ever lived? No, by the way, don't, don't name anybody that you know, okay? No family members, ex-spouses, or anything like that, okay? But who would be down here, you know, the worst you think of? We, we mentioned axe murders, maybe Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, um, uh, Stalin, or whoever would come to mind. Now, if that's the worst down in that bucket, Dante's seventh level of hell, so to speak, right? Who would be the best, the best people who've ever lived? Many would come to mind, right? Billy Graham, you could say Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, maybe your mother, your, your grandmother might be up there. Okay, so where would you put yourself? If, if Mother Teresa lived amongst the poor, loved Jesus in India, would be here, most of us are humble enough to say, you know, I don't think I would put myself up there, but certainly I'm not down here Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever, you know, so I'm somewhere in here, right? Now, here's the question. The question is, where is the standard? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? What does the scripture say? It says all fall short of the glory, right? The holiness of God. The standard is not the step of the ladder. The standard is not the ceiling, the standard is beyond the sky. You see, if we compare ourselves to other people, we might be thinking, well, I'm better than them or I'm better than her. But if we compare ourselves, like, like me, if I compare myself to some other dude in my little town of Duncan Falls, Ohio, that's never played soccer in his life, I might be pretty good. But if we compare ourselves to Jesus, then we know that we fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, if we all fall short, then why does it matter? It matters because God is perfect, because sin is not in God's presence. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there's none not righteous, no, not one. Now, please believe me, don't feel built up today, beat up. <laughs> because there are a lot of good-hearted people here. This is a great church. But all of us, if we're really honest, if we stand in the light of the, the cross, we realize that we're guilty enough to crucify Jesus. Let's, be, let's just be honest. I mean, do we have any perfect people in the room here today? I mean, raise your hand if you've even told one lie in your life, okay? That means you missed the mark. Anybody? That's 75% of you. The other 25, you just lied right there. <laughs> so you better listen to this message and you better point your life to that cross right now, okay? It's absolutely true. <laughs> the Bible also teaches in Romans, and this is what Martin Luther picked up, 
In chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? A wage is something that I receive, that I earn for what I have done. I've worked a long day today, and I get my wage for the work that I've done. The Bible says the wages of our imperfection is death. Physical death, yes, but spiritual death, separation from God. But that's not the end of the verse, is it? Amen, Kingsburg? I know this is Christianity 101, but I need it. The wages of sin is death. Let's put this up. But the free gift of God, we got it? Do we got it on the screen? Let's go again. For the, that's the wrong one. Okay, one more. Maybe. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's a gift? Something we don't earn. What's grace? Unfavored merit. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Thus we boast, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And that's why when Jesus went to the cross, he cried out before his death, it is finished. God's plan is complete because he became the substitute. He took on our pain. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on what's due to us at the cross that we might be raised to new life. We symbolize that in baptism. Romans chapter six, you've been buried with Christ. In Christ's death, we die and then we're raised to life. And so next Sunday morning, friends, as you see those individuals going all in right there in that tank in the center of the room, as they come out, they are celebrating the fact that it's what Jesus has done, that Jesus is their savior, that Jesus is their hope, amen? That Jesus is their salvation. And if you wanna take that step, if you've never taken that step to die to self and arise to Christ, you can celebrate that in holy baptism next week as you give your heart to the Lord Jesus. People of Ginsburg, we're almost through, I promise. You need to know that I love you. And I think the friendship has grown and grown. Really, this is family. And for those who are new, hey, thanks for coming and checking out this family today. By the way, let me just say on the side, it's not my notes, this is an imperfect family. <laughs> well, we've kind of acknowledged that already, right? The glory's up here. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find one because the pastor's not up there at the glory on his own. He's right here. But we are a family because the Bible says, who have ever received him, John chapter one, to them he gave the rights to become the children of God. Amen. To those who believe in his name. Friends, you need to know that I wonder, sometimes worry about you. I wonder if you vastly overrate yourself. You've never faced soccer reality, if you know what I mean, spiritually. 
you've lived in a, a world where you've just compared yourself to others, but you've never really looked at your own life through the lens of the glory. Today can be the day when you sing Hosanna, God save me. I need a savior and I'm grateful that you went to the cross because you love me so much, you stretched out your arms and you died for me that I might live forever. And today when I come forward and I receive this outward expression through bread and juice, the body and blood of Christ, I'm celebrating the fact that you died for my sins and I'm alive in Christ because of your work. You can do that today. Holy Spirit, descend upon these gifts of bread and juice and make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And through your spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other that we might dwell together in that heavenly banquet. But this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.